The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Vandenberg 89 in the slots, always a dangerous target. Bethard looking his way, firing across the middle for Vandenberg, touchdown! 14 yards to Matt Vandenberg, his second score of the season. Again, play action, put the ball in the stomach of the running back, try to draw defenders down and open up seams in the passing game. It wasn't the first window he hit it in, but he waited to the second window. He got himself a touchdown. 83 yards, just three plays needed in a minute and a half to take the lead. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike, podcasting 10 years of original programming on Iowa athletics. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Dyer who looks back at the Hawks' stunning loss to FCS top-ranked North Dakota State, and he previews this week's Rutgers game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Rutgers' Chris Ash. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of LandOf10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Anthony Brecht. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes begin Big Ten play on the road at Rutgers this Saturday. It is the 14th time out of 18 years under head coach Kirk Ferentz that conference play begins on the road. The Hawkeyes have won their last three Big Ten openers. Iowa is 2-1 through non-conference games after last week's home 23-21 last-second loss to North Dakota State. It was the first time in history that Iowa has lost to an FCS team, and that loss dropped the Hawkeyes completely out of the AP Top 25 and plunged them to 25th in the coaches' poll. Rutgers is 2-1, having lost its opener 48-13 at ranked Washington, then coming from behind to win the last two weeks at home 52-14 versus Howard and 37-28 against New Mexico. This will be the first ever game played between Iowa and Rutgers, and obviously the first Big Ten game between the two. Rutgers joined the conference in 2014. The Hawkeyes have an 8 game conference regular season winning streak. It's the Big Ten's best and the best for Iowa since it won 10 in a row from 2001 to 2002. Iowa has also won six straight Big Ten road games dating back to 2014 and that's the longest streak for the Hawks since 2002-2003. Kirk Ferentz is in his 18th year as Iowa's head coach with a record there of 129 and 88. He ranks 8th in overall Big Ten coaching victories 
and he's tight for seventh in league wins. He will have seventh place all to himself if the Hawkeyes defeat the Scarlet Knights. Former Michigan head coach Lloyd Carr is sixth with 81 conference wins. Kirk's hot on his heels. Chris Ash is in his first year as a head coach and at Rutgers. His record is 2-1. His previous coaching stops as an assistant included his alma mater, Drake, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Arkansas, and Ohio State. Ash has coached against Iowa nine times as an assistant. Rutgers has had seven, that's right, you can count them, seven head coaches since Hayden Fry first became Iowa's head coach. The Scarlet Knights have struggled for the most part in recent history, except briefly when Greg Schiano headed up the program there before he joined the NFL. Saturday's game will be on ESPN2 for the second week in a row, once again with announcers Beth Mowens and Anthony Brecht. As usual, the game will be broadcast on the Hawkeyes radio network with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak. It can also be heard on satellite radio, XM Channel 195 and Sirius 135. After this game, Big Ten play continues for both teams as Iowa returns to Kinnick Stadium to host West Division rival Northwestern, while Rutgers travels to Ohio State. The game against the Wildcats is Iowa's annual homecoming. Kickoff is 11 a.m. It will be televised on ESPNU. Tidbits and nuggets. Iowa quarterback C.J. Beathard is 15-3 as Iowa's starter. He's 9-0 in Big Ten regular season games, and he's 6-0 on the road. Iowa has two players on its roster from New Jersey, running back Akram Wadley and defensive end Brandon Simon. Both are from Newark. While Rutgers has no players on its roster from Iowa, there are plenty of coaching connections to the Hawkeye State. Head coach Chris Ash grew up in a Tumwa, Iowa. He played at Drake where he received his undergraduate degree. He got his master's at Iowa State and he grew up an Iowa fan. He says he wants to model Rutgers rebuild on the Iowa program. Ash also served as an assistant coach at San Diego State under then head coach there Chuck Long. Defensive coordinator Jay Neiman grew up in Avoca. He's the father of two Iowa players starting junior linebacker Ben Neiman and true freshman Nick who is being redshirted. Rutgers offensive line coach is a former Hawkeyes player. A.J. Blazek was twice a letter winner as a center from 1999 to 2000. And for you history buffs, Rutgers played in the first ever college football game facing off against nearby Princeton in 1869. Iowa began play in 1889 and combined, Iowa and the Scarlet Knights have played in 2,486 college football games. In Big Ten play, Rutgers is just 4-12, while the Hawkeyes are 3-14, 3-66-25 since Iowa joined the conference in 1900. Rutgers is also 0-4 so far against Big Ten West Division foes. And incidentally, Saturday's game will not actually be played in New Brunswick, New Jersey, but at High Point Solution Stadium in Pascataway Township, New Jersey, just in case you need to find it on a map. In Big Ten notes, other than Iowa's loss to an FCS team last Saturday, the conference had a great week. Michigan State pounded Notre Dame in South Bend, Nebraska beat Oregon in Lincoln, and Ohio State flat-out trounced Oklahoma in Norman. Key games this week, the opening weekend of conference play, Nebraska is at Northwestern, Wisconsin at Michigan State, and and Penn State at Michigan. Post game show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.
Pressure coming. Beathard able to elude it. Thought about the run to the back of the end zone in traffic caught. Touchdown, Matt Vandenberg. When the quarterback breaks contain, Beth, and you're a receiver on that side, you've got to find a way to get in the hole and get open. And they just kind of drew this up in the dirt. Iowa stays perfect this season in the red zone. 12 for 12, and they respond to the score by North Dakota State. And Beathard to Vandenberg puts the Hawkeyes back on top. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides his overall assessment of this year's Rutgers squad. Heading out to Rutgers, and uh, a couple obvious things about Rutgers. They've got a new staff, uh, an excellent coaching staff. Uh, Chris Ash, to me, is a guy that uh, has really earned, a, earned the opportunity that he's, uh, that he's been given. And he's got an excellent football staff uh, of coaches and a little bit of an Iowa connection there, certainly with A.J. Blazik, a former player, uh, being on the offensive line. And then Jay Neiman, uh, who has, you know, as you know, two sons on the team as well, and Jay's been over at Northern Illinois most recently. Uh, both those guys are tremendous coaches, but their whole staff uh, really impressive. If you look at their season right now, the first game they had a uh, one heck of a road trip to start out the season, a long road trip. It really looked uh, looked like a whole new operation in that first uh, first game, especially in the first half. They uh, were victimized by about five big plays. So you know, the thing really kind of got out of hand early, but they fought back, played well in the second half, and then uh, I think that's really the story of the last two games. They've fallen behind in both of their games at home, have battled back. They're playing with a good attitude, playing hard, and doing the things you have to do be, to be successful. So, you know, you give them a lot of credit for that. Uh, if you look at their team, uh, they're big and physical, both uh, both lines of scrimmage, offensive line, defensive line, veteran secondary that plays well, good group of receivers. Uh, back's doing a really nice job for them. Then in the kicking game, they've got a good punter, good kicker, and uh, the receiver, uh, Grant, number one, excellent return guy, both pick uh, punts and kicks. And then he's a big play guy offensively, too. So he's certainly a, a marquee player for him. But they've got a lot of guys that can really play well. So it's our first road game. Uh, big challenge for our football team heading out and uh, getting ready for Rutgers. Kirk was asked about Sunday's film session after the NDSU game and how he thinks his team has responded to that upset loss. It's always painful when you lose. That's just there's no way around it. And uh, Sundays are not fun after a loss. I think the key thing there is that you learn from what you see. And there's a lot to learn from. And as I said, probably the biggest, most glaring thing in my mind are just not doing well at the makeables. And uh, makeables to me are plays that you should be able to execute without having you know a superstar player, that type of thing. But yeah, we had two, way too many. Not so much in the kicking game, but offensively, defensively, just little things that add up to big things, and that's that's really the story of football, especially in close ball games, which we you know, we tend to be involved in a lot of those. You know, it was pretty quiet uh, on Sunday, as you might well imagine, and it should be. I mean, everybody invests a lot, and everybody works hard, and uh, you know, and our fans are disappointed. Certainly, a lot of people are disappointed. No, nobody's more disappointed than the players and the coaches. You know, that's what we do, or at least that's a big part of what we do. So, you know, you're affected by it. But then, you know, the big thing about any time you just get disappointment in sports or life, you got to move on at some point. And in sports and football, that starts Monday morning. You know, you got you got to push through it and start uh, start your preparation for the next team. Because, you know, we're all on the clock. Everybody's on the clock. And if you're wasting time, you know, having a pity party, it really doesn't, doesn't help you much for, you know, moving forward. 
Ference talks about preparing for Rutgers and the familiarity his staff has with the coaching staff of the Scarlet Knights. It's uh, it's kind of been strange. It's our third game now and uh, fourth game, I should say, where you're you know you're trying to picture some things and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there, there's a lot of Ohio State influence or resemblance. You know, I mean, logical reasons. You know, Chris did a great job as a defensive coordinator there. Uh, so what he did defensively, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of carryover for obvious reasons. And then uh, you know, Coach Herman, who's down at Houston. Uh, there's a connection there. You know, they were together at Ohio State. So, you know, that's, I'm not saying it's a carbon copy of what they're doing offensively, but there's a lot of influence there, too. So, and we have three games of, of film, which helps a lot, too. At least now we're not projecting, and you're seeing the players you're going to play against running those schemes. So that, that does help. Ference spent considerable time explaining his team's failure to make what he called makeable plays against the Bison, and if that applied to his defense as well. I mentioned the fourth and two play, the touchdown down that far end zone. That's just us taking our eyes off uh, the guy we're responsible for in coverage. And that happens. It's not the first time we've, we've been victimized by that, but uh, there's never a good time for it. Uh, just simple plays like, you know, where a receiver comes in and, and uh, comes in and digs out of safety, you know, then if that's going to happen, we have to have the right displacement in terms of, you know, covering that. And uh, there were a couple plays where we didn't. So, you know, instead of a six, seven yard gain, it squirts out for multi, you know, 15, 20, uh, or just plain old missed tackles, which that's, that's a bad thing on defense too. So, you know, if you're not going to be a good tackling team, if you don't get the right fits and replacements, those types of things, then it's going to be difficult. And that those were the things that to me that really beat us. You know, people are always going to have a little something for you that you may have to adjust to and they, they get you on your heels a little bit, but that's just football. It's always going to happen. But uh, the things that are, are basic to week one in spring ball or week one in camp, those are the things. If you're not doing those well, not that you're doing them well in the first week of camp or first week of uh, spring, but that, that's why you practice. You learn how to really fit those things in so you're a fundamentally sound team. And uh, they were the more fundamentally sound team the other day. No question about it. Ference was asked if Iowa has wrinkles in every game's playbook. I think everybody's got a um, certain plays, that you know, gadget plays, whatever you want to call them. But then, yeah, Every, every week you see something that you might do to knowing your tendencies might might be able to take advantage of counterpunch to what they're doing offensively and defensively but typically those things show up usually in the first half sometimes people will hold them so then the trick is to get those adjusted and you, you know you got to weather that a little bit but again that, that's just part of week-to-week football but those things that you should be good at every week to me those are the things inevitably when you look at the season after the season's over and go through the tape the things that really get you beat are ball security penalties you know bust, busted coverages things like that that those are the things that really get you it's not you know that one play you designed you know thought of on Thursday night or something like that it's usually the the bread and butter stuff and coach Ferentz discusses his feelings on players expressing some form of protest during the pregame playing of the national anthem you know it's a really tricky uh topic as we all know and I guess my hopes would be my encouragement be I would hope they'd come to me and just you know let's talk about it first my preference I'm not saying it's a mandate my preference is that we all be unified uh be it our uniforms on the field, uh, how we do things, certainly how we stand for the national anthem. That'd be my preference, but that's in a perfect world. But biggest thing, I'd hope we could have some discussion and, you know, on a national commentary. I'd, I'd like to think there are better ways to uh, voice, voice how we feel about things. <laughs>
Next, we hear from Rutgers head coach Chris Ash, who gives his assessment of the Iowa Hawkeyes. We've got a very good team in Iowa coming in. Uh, I know they lost uh, last week. It you know, doesn't matter. It's still an outstanding football team. Uh, they're as well coached as any team in America. Uh, you look at that football team, and um, they really are what, what we want to uh, be. Uh, they're always uh, good at the offensive line. They're good on the D-line. They, they consistently have a fairly productive quarterback. And uh, you look at uh, last year, you look at this year, you look at you know every year that they've been successful, those three things are consistent. Um, and uh, that's what we want. That's what you know uh, most teams want. And if you have that, you have a chance to, to go out and beat anybody. And uh, we're going to need to play a really good football game. We're going to have to play mistake-free. Uh, we're going to have to uh, be ready for an 18-round fight uh, up front on both sides of the ball, uh, our D-line against our O-line, uh, our O-line against their D-line. And uh, it's, it's going to be a game that's won uh, or lost at the line of scrimmage for, for either team. You know, we need to take care of the ball. Uh, we need to win the battle of field position uh, to be able to go out and compete in a game like this and have a chance to win. And uh, you look at last Saturday, why, why did we win last Saturday? We were able to do those two things. We didn't, uh, other than the punt return, we took care of the ball offensively. And, um, you know, we, we won the battle of field position uh, with good special teams coverage uh, and some things that we did there. So Ash was asked if he'd rather Iowa would have defeated NDSU last Saturday than having the Hawkeyes come into this week's game with extra motivation. Iowa's going to be hungry whether they won or lost. I mean, that's just the way uh, Kirk coaches. That's the way that uh, football team is. And I, it, it doesn't matter what happened last Saturday. They'll move on to the next one. They'll be prepared for the next one. And uh, it doesn't matter to me whether they won or lost. I mean, it's going to be an exceptionally well-coached football team uh, that will, just like we are approaching a Big Ten opener, that's their goal to win the Big Ten. And uh, they'll come into this uh, regardless. Uh, they'll come into this prepared and ready to go and hungry to win a game regardless of what happened last Saturday. You know, people talk about an upset. To, you know, North Dakota State's an outstanding football team. You look at the history of that uh, team, they've beaten a lot of people. You know, whether you, you want to consider an upset or not, I mean, that, that's a, a darn good football team that uh, beat Iowa last week. And uh, by no means does that diminish what Iowa's football team is or, or what they're capable of moving forward. In its first three games, Rutgers has gotten off to slow starts. Ash was asked how he is addressing that problem. Uh, we just continue to do what we do. You know, we have a process. I mentioned this last week when it was brought up about slow start. We have a process of preparation that I believe in. Coaching staff believes in it. The players believe in it. Uh, we just have to execute better at the start of games. Um, and uh, we're not going to go automatically and change what we do or, or who we are. We're, we're going to continue to do what we do. we got to do it better. And we got to start games better. Um, there's no magic formula for that. Not going to go out and do any you know extra stretches or jumping jacks or you know uh, whatever you know to get ready for a game. Uh, we have a, a process that uh, uh, I think is, is uh, one that leads will lead us to, to being successful. We just have to execute better when games start. Ash discusses whether his team is ready to compete in the Big Ten. I don't know if we're ready yet. We've gotten better at some areas. We're not as good as we need to be in, in some areas. Uh, am I excited to go out and, and find out where we're at every Saturday? Absolutely, because I think our again I talk about our process uh, of preparation. Uh, I really like what we do. Uh, I think the, the guys believe in what we do. Uh, we practice extremely hard on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Tuesdays a physical practice. Uh, Wednesday uh, is, is still a fairly physical practice. Uh, Thursday uh, we get a lot of reps uh, on the scout team. You know Friday is what we call feel good Fridays, getting our minds and bodies right and, and uh, putting the final uh, touches on the game plan. And uh, it's a process that I like uh, and we keep getting better. And Saturday is a day to go out and try to prove that we are getting better. And this uh, Saturday we got a great test. You know we're going to find out. Ash talks about the Neiman family with the father coaching for the Scarlet Knights and the two sons playing for the Hawkeyes. Another special day uh, for Coach Jay Neiman, uh, really for his wife. He's got a husband coaching here at Rutgers and two sons that played Iowa. Kind of a unique situation. So uh, we'll, we'll see where her loyalties lie here uh, come Saturday. So really unique situation for that family. 
two great kids, great family, and uh, really excited for them uh, to have an opportunity like this. It doesn't come around much in college football, you know, to have a, a dad coaching on one team and, and uh, two boys playing on another. So it'll be a unique situation. I know where Jay's mind is. He's, he's locked in and focused on uh, helping us be the best we can be and go out and win a football game. But, uh, you know, it's a special day for his family. Chris Ash grew up in Iowa, and he was asked if he was an Iowa fan during that time. Yeah, I, I grew up in uh, southeast Iowa, about an uh, hour south of Iowa City. And um, when I was growing up as a kid, um, I, I did. I cheered for Iowa. Uh, I actually told someone the story before a uh, birthday gift that I got. Actually, it was a Christmas gift that I got at uh, one point. was an autographed Chuck Long football. Chuck was playing uh, at Iowa, and uh, I believe it was 1985, and actually went on to work for Chuck at uh, San Diego State also. So uh, that was one of my best birthday gifts. And I, it was birthday slash Christmas because my uh, birthday is December 24th, but autographed Chuck Long ball. Two guys to the right. Bethard looking that way. He's got McCarron. The defender slipped, and Riley McCarron will take it in and score. What a play design and confidence on fourth down. Extra point is good. 11 plays, 75 yards, four and a half minutes, Anthony, and it ends with the 30-yard strike. Beautiful play, fourth down, trying to make a big play up the field. They take all advantage of it, getting themselves their first score of the game. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our new Reporter's Notebook show this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the NDSU game, and we go in-depth previewing this Saturday's Rutgers contest. Scott, as usual, before we turn to the preview of the Iowa-Rutgers game, let's take one last painful look back at what happened in Kinnick Stadium last Saturday when the Hawkeyes were upset by North Dakota State University. I think everyone pretty much expected a tough game, probably the toughest non-conference game this season, but I don't think many people expected the Hawkeyes to have the pathetic rushing output that they did, which ultimately probably cost them that contest. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I, I thought it would might be a challenging game, but I thought in every single area where North Dakota State was strong, Iowa was stronger. I thought that Iowa was a little bit better on the offensive line, better on the defensive line, had a better quarterback, and could make plays. And they made some plays, but not nearly enough of them. And then in the fourth quarter, to watch the way that Iowa was pounded and could not run the football during the game, really at all, was was not only surprising, but was borderline shocking to me. I, I, I was, I you know, to say that North Dakota State would upset Iowa by two points on a last-second field goal, that probably wouldn't shock me, but just the way in with which that North Dakota State pounded Iowa. I mean, you know, a 200-yard disparity in running totals tells you just about everything you want to know about not only that game, but uh, it really uh, puts some lights right now, spotlights on a lot of concerns for this team in this season. I mean, you know, everything was pretty smooth sailing in the offseason. Uh, you know, last year, I mean, everybody's referencing 12-0 and and, you know, and kind of overlooking what happened in the bowl game. But then when you start to really analyze uh, the issues against Miami of Ohio, which I think, you know, we all kind of thought, okay, that's a concern, but Josie Jewell wasn't on the field. You know, he was ejected for targeting. Everything gets 
straighten out. And then they did that against Iowa State. But all those issues came ro- roaring back to life here. And I think you're looking at the rest of the season going, okay, they, I don't know that they can completely shield themselves from these issues. They just have to get better at them. And uh, they don't really have a lot of time to, to do that. The rushing performance, both offensively and defensively, by Iowa dropped them. A little bit of FBS symmetry here. Iowa is now 91st in rushing offense and 91st in rushing defense. We'll dig into some more of that as we talk about the game coming up with Rutgers. You wrote a really interesting piece on Land of Ten this week about predictability and some tendencies and how you think that negatively impacted the Hawkeyes. But let's turn to that Rutgers game right now. Let's look in some depth at Iowa's offense against the Scarlet Knights defense. Iowa is still averaging 356.7 total offense yards per game. They've got 108 points, 15 offensive touchdowns, still averaging 36 points per game. But their rushing offense is only 148 yards per game. That dropped after the first two games of the season. It was 205 yards per game. So that kind of sums up their issues on on the ground offensively. They remain pretty decent in uh, pass offense. It remains a very efficient offense. The problem is it's getting off the field almost too quickly when they score. Yeah, that's been kind of an issue for so far. But you know, it's funny. You know, the first two games, they scored six touchdowns in each one, uh, 40 plus points. They were balanced. You know, I don't, when they're rushing for 200 yards a game, I don't really look at the at what they rank nationally because it's just a different style of play. So I think you can tolerate, you know, I think they were 52nd after the Iowa State game with 205 yards per game. And you know what? I'm not, I don't think Iowa should complain about that. I don't think that's a big deal. But, but uh, you know, the performance against North Dakota State was, was the surprising one. So yeah, they've kind of fallen. Uh, they've got some, you know, work to do. You know, the one plus for them as they did, you know, they were without their two best offensive linemen in center James Daniels and right guard Sean Welsh. I expect that to solidify the line dramatically. Now, what what is that going to do for the left side of the line? Because they were actually the ones that I thought struggled the most. I don't know. I don't know if that adds to the competition there, if they're going to rotate some players, move around a few players here and there, or if they just expect them to get better. But, you know, the I, I think by and large that, you know, this is kind of going to be a new, new an opportunity for them to kind of improve. To your point, time of possession, while a disparity against Iowa in those first two games, it really wasn't an issue because it didn't matter. But it was a telling statistic in the Bison game because that uh, time of possession, 23-20 for Iowa, 36-40 for the Bison, that was a telling statistic in that game. Yeah, it was. It was just like the first game. and I think the first game was the same ratio of like 36 to 24 roughly. And, and again, that was something that I, most of us talked about and highlighted, but it was also one that we just said, you know, Josie jeweled out, you know, his replacement didn't, wasn't that, you know, I mean, Jack Hogg, played hard, he had, he had some good plays, but wasn't great necessarily. But now when, when you get beat doing that, that's when, you know, that's when the red flags come up and, and, uh, you know, get not getting off the field, conversely, not being able to stay on the field on offense, not being able to run the ball effectively, not being able to get first downs, it goes hand in hand. And, and that statistic is really un-Iowa-like because that's exactly what they want to do. 
and North Dakota State beat them at their own game. Parents' teams always strive for balance offensively, and it was completely out of the window against North Dakota State. Two good things, though. They're still doing well in terms of explosive plays. They're 15th in the nation in line of scrimmage plays of 15 yards or more, and they're 100% still in the red zone, and 11 of those 12 were touchdowns. Those are great numbers. Those are ones you want, you know, and just, uh, you know, <laughs> the sad part is, and I'm sure most fans and, and certainly the team has looked back on is there were two huge plays, explosive plays that, you know, ended up not materializing, and both were on their first offensive plays of their half. So you look at the first play, uh, you know, when they're backed up on their own two, great play action fake. T.J. Beathard just overthrows George Kittle. I would say nine times out of ten he makes that pass, and it goes probably not for a touchdown, but maybe 35, 40 yards. And then in the second half, he had a holding call that prevented a 62-yard gain from, from uh, LaShawn Daniels. So those numbers could have been even better had they uh, you know, been able to you know, convert on those two plays. Beathard's still completing 61% of his passes. He's got seven touchdowns, only one in- interception on the year, and that was that really fluky play where he got blindsided from the backside against MDSU. You talked about, and to your point, on the offensive line issues, he he's, he's getting crushed too often so far in this season, especially for as early as it is. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a real danger sign. I mean, I think people forget that Iowa gave up 30 sacks last year, which was uh, the second most in the Big Ten behind Penn State, which really was a turnstile all year. They get, you know, giving up 30 sacks is, you know, is, is not palatable. And and I think it was kind of surprising. And, and the reputation Iowa's offensive line kind of perceives itself. And in the offseason, you have Ed Cunningham from ESPN ranking Iowa's offensive line is the best in the country. And I was really kind of surprised because I thought, okay, they've got a lot of room to grow here. And then, you know, because in the last two games alone last year, Michigan State and Stanford, they combined for 10 sacks. And then the way that Beathard's been getting hit, granted he got kind of KO'd for a few plays because of a scramble, but, but that backside uh, bl- uh, blitz by a linebacker was something that, if nothing else, should have been obstructed a little bit more by the left tackle, uh, you know, Cole Croston. Instead, he had a free reign. Beathard, you know, I, I, there's been discussion that he should feel the blitz. I don't know what that all means. I mean, maybe the time, you know, that you should have an internal clock and want to get rid of the ball, but, but if, if he expects the blitz to be taken care of, then he should have been taken care of it. And, uh, you know, he got blindsided. That turned into a pick six and hey they lost uh, they lost by two points take away that pick six they win so uh, that's, that's a huge play in the game and then it's right at the end uh, that last sequence there where they ran the ball twice and then on third down he got pushed up the middle and nobody picked up the uh, linebacker for a sack and just you know it was just a poor day by the offensive line and they have to improve because if they aren't if they're not like this Beathard will eventually get hurt and this team and this season will go down as one of those other seasons that we always talk about his We have talked before about whether you know quarterbacks can sense a, a rush is coming or a blitz is coming, and it seems like some quarterbacks can. Maybe it's a peripheral vision thing or something for for Beathard. It's not just the sacks; it's the hurries and the scrambles. And as you said, he got he got hurt on that one scramble. In spite of that, against NDSU, he had his fourth career three touchdown games, three passing touchdowns. So that much was positive. But let's go back.
back to the running a minute. LaShawn Daniels is uh, averaging nearly 75 yards per game. Akram Wadley, 63. They each have three touchdowns. Daniels nearly six yards a carry. Wadley nearly eight, and yet he only carried the ball four times against NDSU. When he did carry it, he, he performed really well. So that's still somewhat of a mystery, and Kirk's answer at his Tuesday presser wasn't really informative. I agree. I mean, I don't know if he's, you know, I think some people have speculated that he's in a doghouse. I disagree because I don't think he would be, you know, he was able to talk to the media. Usually players are in the doghouse, they're discouraged or not available. You know, I, we did see him a week ago, laying, you know, sitting out on a on the on the bricks right in front of the facility with an ice pack on his knee. So he's been bothered by, by a knee situation. That said, you know, it was almost like collectively they thought with James Daniels, with Akram Wadley, with Sean Welsh, it was like, well, let's keep him on, on the bench, try to get through this game, and then we'll get him back on the field next week because they weren't 100%. Well, as we saw, when you're playing a team like, you know, maybe that would have worked against a, a Miami of Ohio or an Iowa State, the way they played, but it's not going to work against a good, really good team that's aggressive, that's physical, uh, that, that Adam stymied. And, and I think the biggest uh, issues I have, you know, the predictability, I think part of it is, yes, we know what Iowa's going to do, but the tendency was off the charts. In the last six quarters, they've had 40 running plays, counting sacks. Only two have gone to the right side. So 38 runs have either been up the middle or straight back, if you're counting better getting tackled, or to the left. And on the last drive, when they have the ball, they're up one point, three and a half minutes to go. This is when you expect your team, your physical run team, Big Ten champ- West championship team, to, to take off and do it. Well, they were in uh, a 22 uh, personnel grouping, two tight ends, fullback, running back, and they ran to the left side twice for negative, what, two yards and then one yard, which set them up poorly. And I thought, okay, you're telegraphing the world what you're going to do here, and you can't do it. You haven't been able to do it for the whole game. So I thought, me, that that's something that they got to self-scout. Otherwise, it's going to appear against you know, possibly this week, but definitely against Northwestern, definitely against Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. All those teams are going to scout that. If I can see it, I'm sure they can. Only guessing here, but I wonder if even subconsciously, Greg Davis or even Beathard himself, the line of scrimmage, doesn't have the confidence in the right side of the line when Sean Welsh isn't in there. I remember one play for sure in the Iowa State game that looked like it was a Daniels run designed to go right, and he stopped bounced back, kicked it out left, and hit that long touchdown run out of that. So I don't even remember them running on the right side that much against Iowa State. Yeah, I mean, once Welsh has been out, that they really avoided it. And in fact, what's really strange is in the first game, 109 of their rushing yards, a little bit more than half, went to the right. And then the last game, unfortunately for Iowa, half of their rushing yards went to the right. They had an 18-yard gain by Akron Wadley, and then a one-yard loss, I think it was also by Wadley. They ended up with 34 rushing yards, so 17 of those came to the right side. So you've got to diversify your attack. You've got to know that better. And again, if I can see it, so can the world, you know, when they really study that stuff. Bottom line out of that game was those are the worst rushing stats for Iowa in 37 games. Let's look at the receivers a little bit. Vandenberg continues to just excel. He's he's now got 15 catches, 267 yards, three touchdowns. He's averaging 89 yards per game. The tight end game has come alive a little bit since the opening contest of the season 
with Kittle. Riley McCarron is is catching a lot of passes, maybe more than some people expected, and you still have Germanic Smith, although he didn't really make much of an appearance uh, last week. Yeah, Germanic Smith, you know, had a huge debut, I thought, you know, three catches, one of them a touchdown, and he's kind of faded a little bit here. I think he's only had like two catches for about 10 yards here in the last uh, two weeks. But but to your point, you know, about Matt Vandenberg, I mean, he's a, an underrated receiver anyway. And then the way he's competed this season, last season, I mean, he's had 80 catches, you know, his junior, senior year. And, you know, he's still got, you know, three quarters of this season left. So he's playing really well. He's a guy that they get, get open. He can find ways to get open. I think he's a next level player. And then, you know, George Kittle, you know, wasn't targeted much in the first game, has been targeted a little bit more in the last two. He's a, he's an important weapon for them. You know, had 100 plus yards receiving the other day. You know, but the, the problem is with them that they've got to grow at the number two tight end and number three tight end and then also a wide receiver beyond uh, and consistently beyond Vandenberg. That's something that kind of going into the year we all wrote about. Okay, they're kind of unproven here, but they're going to need, you know, Germanic Smith and, and uh, Jay Shiel and whether it's Peter Picard or somebody else stepping up at tight end. They're going to need this to happen fairly soon because right now they're getting to that point of, you know, they're already a quarter of the way through the season. You know, they're going to be a third of the way through the season after Saturday. And so uh, it's, it's about results, not reasons at this point. Mostly good news depth chart wise. Bethard's okay after being checked out after the injury there last Saturday. Wadley, at the time you and I are talking, is no longer wearing a knee wrap and uh, icing down his knee, at least while he's out and about. As you mentioned, Sean Welsh and James Daniels are both supposed to be back. The biggest loss, and I thought it hurt him last week too, was no no Derek Mitchell. Kirk says it doesn't look like there's any way he's going to be ready. He was certainly effective first couple of games. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a big loss for them, you know, from depth perspective. It's good. He was a good third down player because he could block. He's big and physical like that. And he could also pat, uh, catch, you know, he was a former wide receiver. So I think that's going to hurt him a little bit. But if Wadley's healthy and if Daniels, you know, stays healthy, then they'll be okay there with two. And then, you know, now, now Tokesak and Rabade is, you know, now they're number three. And I think he's a, he's a terrific specimen and a really good running back. Catching the, you know, picking up the blitz is going to be something that I don't know about with him. You know, young players tend to struggle. So we'll see if he can do that. Um, he could probably do it better than the running backs did the other day, which was, you know, turnstile. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, you know, losing Mitchell for a little bit of time is, is, is going to hurt him. But, you know, he's also the third running back, not the first. Most Iowa fans probably are not very familiar with Rutgers. It's the first time Iowa's played them ever. And obviously the first time they face them in Big Ten action. Rutgers defense is pretty stingy inside the red zone. They've only surrendering points 43% of the time. Their defensive line is a strength in particular there. They have a defensive tackle named Darius Hamilton, who was a five-star recruit. He was injured most of last year, but he's playing really well this year, and their defensive line is tough. Yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Hamilton has already got 25 and a half tackles for loss in his career or so in 42 plays, and he had 10 tackles the other day, and he's the first three-time captain in Rutgers history. So, I mean, you know, he's a very impressive player, and I think he's going to be a guy that Iowa's going to have to be cognizant of. And, you know, if he goes up against Welsh and Daniels and, you know, some double teams, then I think they'll be fine there. I mean, he'll, he'll make his plays. He's a good player, and he'll play at the next level, but you you know, you could also kind of uh, you know, worry about some of the other guys, but, you know, that said, you know, they you know they play a traditional 4-3. This is a defense led by Jay Neiman, who, uh, you know, father of Iowa starting linebacker Ben Neiman. It's going to be tough and physical and aggressive. We saw what they were able to do when he was at Northern Illinois and uh, picked off 
Iowa a few years ago. So that's a, a, a tough fight for them. It's just, but if Iowa's consistent, Iowa should be able to move the ball. Rutgers had to replace its entire starting linebacker core this year, and the pass defense has been a little bit leaky, but they do have a pick in each game this year. You'd think that Iowa would try to exploit the passing game because that's the one area where Rutgers has been vulnerable. Yeah, and should have been on it should have last week, to be honest with you, John. But yeah, they only had, you know, one guy that had any experience at all, Deontay Roberts coming back. And so, you know, they, they've given up, a, you know, some big plays through the air to a lot of teams. So they, you know, they've, uh, you know, they've got, they've shown some leaks. But I, I do think that, you know, this, so this is an opportunity for Iowa. This is kind of an, I, I, I you know, the one thing that you would hope for as a, as an our side as a coach and as a, as a fan, I would, I would say is that they, that they reevaluate everything they do and do it well. I mean, sometimes you can get stubborn, you know, when you, even when you're winning or, you know, things are successful, you just kind of let things go. And now, now you get a chance to reevaluate, reevaluate personnel, scheme, groupings, tendencies you know, down a distance. And, and I think Rutgers is a team where you can kind of work on that. I mean, you know, now that said, I mean, this is a team that if you play poorly, they're going to beat you, but, but they have given up some big games and, you know, I mean, you know, they were down, what, 14 to nothing to Howard, you know, they gave up 28 to New Mexico, they got, you know, crushed out of Washington, who's pretty good. So, you know, this isn't, you know, you're not playing the Michigan defense this week, let's put it that way. After this break, Scott talks more Iowa Rutgers and the Big Ten. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Let's flip the page, look at Iowa's defense against the Rutgers offense. You mentioned the fact that the coaching staff at Iowa, and most other places too for that matter, probably can be a little bit stubborn and not want to change things up. The one thing that's clear about Iowa's defense through these first three games, and and you talked about or you wrote about it this week, we've all talked about it, is they've really stuck to their base defense. They haven't even run, I don't even recall seeing the Raider package. They ran it, I think, briefly against Iowa State, I want to say, once. They ran some nickel, and last week they they ran straight base the whole time. And uh, you know it's understandable. There was no way North Coast State was going to beat them through the air. I mean, maybe yeah, they're going to complete passes because it's uh, you know 2016. But they're not going to they're not going to consistently drive down the field, beat up with Desmond King on one side, and Greg Mabin, who played really well, I thought, be on the other. The, the issue was you know could they run on him? And and Iowa, you know whether it was you know just deciding to play its base, and that's what they're going to live and die with. 
with, uh, that's what they decided to do. They didn't, they didn't deviate from that. You know, they, they changed up a little bit up front. They, they rotated, you know, one defensive tackle, one defensive end. They didn't change you know, at the second level at linebacker at all. You know, by the end of the game, whether they're worn down or what, they were beating off the ball. And, uh, and, a, and a, you know, at least one linebacker was kind of out of position. And it, it really started to affect the, the way the team was playing it. You know, again, you know, when you look back at Miami of Ohio, you can make an excuse, try to justify it that Josie Jewell was out. But he was there. He was there the whole time and uh, against uh, North Dakota State. And so whether they need to say, you know what, we need to run blitz more. We need to do something different. I mean, heck, half the time I thought, just go to a goal line front, you know, the way they're beating you off the ball. But, you know, whether they're shielding themselves, they, they you know, the Raider wouldn't have worked anyway against that type of team. But, uh, you know, they were very basic, and they got beat with base. Opponents are scoring 86% of the time in the red zone. Four of those have been touchdowns. Last week, it talked about the sustained long drives against Miami, Ohio. That was an issue again clearly last week. And you saw some of the same issues, tackling and, and concerns about this play of the safeties last week that you saw in the opening game. That's part of it right there, that, you know, you just, you know, one time you can look at that and say, Okay, you know, uh, you know, it's the first game of the year. You're, you're not quite there yet. You're, you know, your best players out. You can kind of justify it. Okay, you're just gonna get better, move on, and then you play a really bad opponent. Frankly, in Iowa State, they're not very good this year. And uh, you know, okay, well, things are back. Things are great. Well, <laughs> you bounce back against North North Dakota State, and they're gonna pound you. And yeah, the safeties were out of position. The weak side linebacker was out of position. They're missing a lot of tackles. You know, that that's something that I think people need to understand that Jordan Lomax was really good free safety and uh, could really hit and was in position and made plays all the time. And uh, Cole Fr- Fisher was very steady at weak side linebacker. They've got different guys there that are making mistakes and uh, they, they need to uh, clean those up very quickly or, again, I can't stress this enough, or, or it's going to be a, a rough uh it's going to be a rough season. We didn't talk about Akram Wadley looking forward to going back home to New Jersey, and you might expect him to have extra motivation Saturday. But how about Ben Neiman and any extra motivation he might have lining up on the field performing in front of his dad, Jay, who you pointed out is the defensive coordinator for Rutgers? Yeah, that's going to be an emotional situation for both people. I mean, I spoke with Jay a few days ago, and I spoke with Ben, obviously, on Tuesday. And, and they're both, uh, you know, they you know very strong circumspect about it. They understand what it is. You know, Jay took the job and they kind of joked, okay, well, at least we won't play each other since they're on different visions. Well, and then they looked at the schedule and saw, oh yeah, but not, by the way, we actually play the first Big Ten game of the year you know, against one another. And, and Jay was kind of happy and said, look, at least I don't have to game plan for my son. Uh, you know, like if he was a wide receiver or a tight end, I'm sure that would be very difficult for anybody. But, uh, you know, so they're they're motivated. Um, I, I, I I certainly think Ben may be more motivated on a, a personal level than Jay. I'm sure Jay, you know, has no motivation at all to beat his son. But, uh, you know, they both want to win the game. They're both getting prepared to try to win the game. And, but then afterwards, they're a very tight-knit family, very close, religious. And, uh, you know, I expect as soon as the game's over for them to be uh, happy to see one another. Rutgers offensively has changed to the spread this year. And as a footnote, they happen to have the youngest offensive coordinator in, in the Power Five conferences to Iowa. 
Iowa's struggles the last uh, two of the first three games in rushing defense, Rutgers has the third-ranked Big Ten rushing offense right now. They're averaging 229 yards per game. They have a really nice running back in Robert Martin, and who incidentally had nearly 50% of their entire offense versus New Mexico last week. And they've got a quarterback in Chris Levano, who's still the starter, but it doesn't sound like head coach Chris Ash is, is, has him inked in in that position right now because he has some passing issues, and he's probably not in the top half of Big Ten quarterbacks that Iowa's going to face this year. No, he's probably in the bottom third. I mean, you know, because they, they, they played five different guys in that position this year, you know, just, you know, Janarian Grant and move there, you know, for a play or two or whatever. And, you know, so, you know, he's, he's capable of playing, you know, how well, how good, I don't know. It's going to be, it remains to be seen. I think it's about a pass rush. You know, Robert Martin had a really nice game, especially against New Mexico. He had an 80-yard run. So, you know, he's, you know, played fairly well last year, you know, almost 800 yards. And, you know, so, you know, they, they've got talented players. And that's one thing when you when you see a Rutgers and, and even, you know, in a Maryland and teams like that, they're going to have talented players. In some cases, they may have more talented skill position players than Iowa does because they're just able to, you know, there's more people who live there. But uh, will they be well, you know, as well coached? Will they, you know, be you know, a consistent type team? I doubt on the consistent front that they're anywhere near what Iowa is. So, you know, but it, it might be to Iowa's best interest to play somebody like that to no more, you know, spread you out versus downhill because, you know, having somebody like Desmond King and Greg Maven and, uh, you know, it might work to their advantage and kind of, you know, hide some of their deficiencies. Now, you know, they may run the ball effectively because spread teams do run the ball at a higher level, um, you know, yards per carry than a lot of times grinders do, but it probably won't hurt them quite as badly. They're averaging 34 points a game, 389 yards per game in total offense. Let's talk a minute about probably one of the most electric players Iowa fans will see all year in, in wide receiver, Janarian Grant. He does play all over the field. Uh, you mentioned he's played at quarterback. He actually threw a 21-yard touchdown pass versus New Mexico. Ago. He lines up in the wildcat. He, he can rush for touchdowns, pass for touchdowns. He returns kicks and punts for touchdowns. He already has three rushing TDs. He had a 69-yard punt return touchdown versus New Mexico, an 84-yard kickoff return. He's been named Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week three times. That's pretty special player. Yeah, he can do it all, and that's uh, that's the scary point. You cannot lose, you cannot lose him on the field. Uh, because whether that's in the return game or that's as a, as a wide receiver or wherever he lines up, in some ways he kind of reminds me of Will Likely uh, from from Maryland. Uh, you know, he was a guy that two years ago he had a pick six against Iowa, and then uh, last year he, uh, he had a kickoff return for a touchdown. Kind of an electrifying player, you know. I mean, he has eight kick kickoff kick returns for touchdowns, five kickoff, three punt. You know, and he's already got one this year. I mean, that's just you really got to be cognizant of him. And, and, you know, now Ron Caluzzi's been a nice uh, addition there at kickoff. I mean, Marshall Kane was terrific, but, uh, you know, Caluzzi's been pretty good. So, you know, they need to make sure they be aware of him. We've seen the kicking game doom Iowa in the past. And, you know, yeah, last year Will Likely brought it back. It's a game they won by double figures, but we've seen it where it's come back to bite him like against Nebraska two years ago. So they've got to be really cognizant of him. And uh, if not, uh, it's, uh, you know, it could be really damaging. He's not the only decent wide receiver either. They have a, a couple of kids named Juwan Harris and Andre Patton. They're both pretty good and each have caught two touchdowns so far this season. Yeah, so they've got some they've got some threats. It'll be interesting to see how Iowa plays against them, you know, on the corner. 
returns. I mean, Desmond King hasn't really been challenged at all this year. And if you look at Greg Maiden in the first game, he looked very pedestrian, but I think he's had two really nice games, even though one against Alan Lazard. I mean, you're talking about an NFL caliber wide seat. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they challenge him. And then also if Iowa can mount a, a significant pass rush to disrupt it. Quick look at special teams. You and I talked after the first game against Miami, Ohio, and you gave the special teams for Iowa an A+, I think it was. And that's really pretty much stayed the case in all three games this year, in spite of what went wrong versus NDSU. Kickoffs, punting by Ron Caluzzi, you mentioned Keith Duncan remains perfect in PATs and the one field goal they've attempted. And Desmond King still looks like he could break nearly every single punt and kick return he gets. Yeah, that's that's the one area that's been you know fairly strong, and that was a big area of concern for me coming into the season. I mean, you're, you had to replace a punter, and you never can replace a punter, and it's easy. And then likewise, a kicker. I mean, he's a true freshman, Keith Duncan, you know, he's uh, but he's converted all 15 extra points and all field goal, and, you know, the kickoffs have been good. There haven't been any special teams disasters, no bad snaps or anything. So, uh, you know, right now I, I think you look at it and you say, okay, that's been a real bright spot for Iowa. Now, you know, again, this week will be provide one of their greatest challenges when you have a returner like Grant. So you got to be, you got to make sure you, uh, you know, are, you know, your kickoff team is in tune and your punt team is in tune and not uh, not giving up anything too major because otherwise that that will turn from A to F really quick and now you grade their performance. One last thing that jumps out at you when you look at the stats and again it's early but Iowa's plus four in the turnover margin and they have 28 points off turnovers. Rutgers is minus one and only has three points off turnovers. We'll see if that becomes a factor this Saturday. Yeah and that's that's one thing that you know Iowa was kind of lacking last week was you know they had one turnover but it wasn't a real big one you know it was a pass it looked like a wounded duck that they intercepted it didn't really lead to much so you know they they needed they needed to force the action they needed to force a fumble is what really they needed to do and and, uh, yeah the points were impressive in the first two weeks but you know I think they might have a little bit more of an opportunity this week than they did last week quick Big Ten look Big Ten outside of the Iowa game last week had three huge victories Michigan State at Notre Dame Nebraska hanging on to beat Oregon and Lincoln and Ohio State pounding the heck out of Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, I remember just a few years ago, John, when we were talking, and and the Big Ten was still kind of overrated. Um, you know, they, there wasn't a lot of discussion about how good it was. I mean, Michigan was in a rough place, so was Nebraska. But you know, you look at the way this weekend unfolded, and you know, and Michigan State blowing up, uh, you know, Notre Dame and and Ohio State. Just, I mean, that was an impressive performance. I didn't think going to Norman with a really young team that they were capable of that, but boy, they sure were. And uh, and then you look at Nebraska winning at home against Oregon. I don't think this is a great Oregon team, but but it's a you know it's a team that still has a lot of brand recognition. And and then uh, you know and then there were some other ones. You know Michigan won. You know had to rally back. I think Maryland beat U.S. UCF and overtime was important. I mean you know Maryland now is three and zero and with the new coaching staff and and uh, you know seeing Northwestern you know was zero and two and playing it looked to be fairly poorly you know they lost to an FCS opponent too and then all of a sudden they come back and beat Duke you know which was a bowl team last year so outside of Iowa and Illinois I mean it was a really impressive week for the Big Ten and, and uh, even Paul Feinbaum says he thinks the Big Ten's the best college to conference in the country and that's got to rile up his base down south. 
certainly looks stronger overall than the SEC does so far. Two big games this weekend to keep an eye on. Wisconsin plays at Michigan State. I think you'll get a handle on how good Wisconsin might actually be. They struggled a bit last week. And then you have Nebraska at Northwestern. Both of those games, depending on who loses, could impact pretty significantly, even though it's early in the Big Ten West race. Yeah, I mean, I would say Northwestern. And Northwestern and and Michigan State, to me, the home teams have the most at stake here. You know, and and because if Northwestern loses at home, I mean, you got to remember, this is when the West Division has only four home games in in Big Ten play. And you lose to to a contender at home, and then the next week you got to go, you know, to Iowa, and you also have on the schedule, I think they play Ohio State as a crossover and and among others. So, you know, that I I wouldn't completely rule them out, but I'd say it's highly unlikely to get off the mat and can mount a serious run in the West Division. And then, you know, Nebraska, that'd be kind of stealing a game. You know, granted, it's probably a 50-50 matchup, maybe edging towards Nebraska. But that said, you know, you go and you win a game on the road, that's going to give them a lot of confidence moving forward. And then, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan State, Wisconsin can survive a loss here or in the first couple of games, you know, if they can run the table in the West, which I think they are capable of doing. Now, Michigan State loses to Wisconsin. It means they're going to have to run the table in the East, and they're going to play in Ohio State, Michigan, who are two top five teams, and then eliminates all room for error. So I think it's vital for the home teams to win in those two. And then I'll also say, you know, Penn State, Michigan, I mean, on paper, it looks like a Michigan win, but if Penn State can pull the upset there or or compete, I think then they won't necessarily go away. Well, it's time for the prediction for this Saturday. Iowa Rutgers, uh, we all kind of got a black eye in our predictions last week, and I think that was pretty much true across the board in the state of Iowa, but what are you seeing this Saturday? I think Iowa's offense gets off the mat. I mean, I think that was the most disappointing thing looking back now and having a little perspective is that you know, you you got to expect a physical run game against game against North Dakota State, and truthfully, they only allowed two touchdowns on offense. You know, the other one came on an interception. However, Iowa's offense was as poor as I've seen in years, really. Even the games where it's been close. Last year in Wisconsin, where you tipped your cap, that was Wisconsin. They were really good. So this week, I expect the offense to change. I think, you know, they they showed flashes of what they were capable of. They just weren't able to do it for a penalty and an overthrow. I think this this week, they don't have that issue. I think they do run the ball. They're better on both sides, both running and passing. I look for Iowa to score and score quite a bit, but I think they shut it down towards the end of the game just out of uh, respect for their opponents. So I look for Iowa to win, win somewhat decisively, but not over the top. I think Iowa wins this, this one uh, 38 to 20. Confidence. It's the food of the wise man, but the liquor of the fool. A fourth quarter that will be remembered forever in Fargo. They outscore Iowa 9-zip. They out-yardage the Hawkeyes 126 to negative 9 in the fourth quarter. They shoved it right down their throats between the tackles. They ran the ball the whole entire second half. I give credit to this offensive line, this coaching staff. I'll tell you, coming on the road to Iowa, Beth, is not an easy thing to do, and they weren't taking them lightly for sure. This is a full-fledged win for this team. A stunning upset... Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard.
Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting Iowa athletics for 10 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.